welcome back to Rockstock Channel. We are privileged to have back on the podcast with Chris Dornbos on the back of some big news, breaking out the $27 million champagne with a new funding from the Strategic Innovation Fund. Chris, we've had you on the podcast as far back as 2019 at the Benchmark Minerals Conference, which Rodney just went to again. I guess for the first time in three years, uh, we did a podcast then. You were an $8 million market cap at that time, while other DLE stocks then uh, were trading in the 25 to $50 million range. We were suggesting that you should bounce around that valuation at that time, 10 times or more, stock price probably five or six times, but you're still relative to those peers that were 25 to $50 million, they're in many cases, 500 million, 750 million, or north of a billion dollars. And uh, so there's a valuation gap there that uh, we want to understand, uh, you know, in this podcast or video cast, um, uh, you know, what's next, you know, for E3 in the next kind of number of months and, and years to kind of close this valuation gap. But you, you have been very good. You got federal money now from the Canadian government. You've gotten prior to that Alberta government money. And, um, you know, within you're the, you're the main DLE story for Canada. The DLE is in, in Germany. It's in Salton Sea. It's in Utah. It's in Arkansas. And it's in a number of other places. But within Canada, this is demonstrating uh, that you seem to be the strategic DLE project for the country, right? Considering how advanced you are and how much attraction and money you've gotten and attention you've gotten from various politicians. So with that, Rodney is going to introduce, ask a number of questions and we'll just take it from there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're excited to be back, Howard. This has been a big building year for E3. I'm setting up a lot of, uh, for our success for 2023. And I think 2023 is going to be the year of sort of prove out for the company. And then this support from the federal government that we've had through the Strategic Innovation Fund is fundamental to that. It demonstrates a strong government support, both in terms of the capital that they've deployed to the project, but also just the fact that this thing was under review for over two years, this project by the group that provided the funding. So, you know, every every step that you build in these types of things, they, they help de-risk. They help build confidence, and uh, and that's where we're at right now. It's just pushing that all forward towards a really big development year for next year. That's great. For the viewers here, we uh, are going to assume you have some basic knowledge of uh, E3, which is not necessarily the greatest assumption. But if you want more background, we'll flash up the equity overview to learn a bit more about the basics of E3. But you are at a, at a a PEA level, scoping study level project. You have a very large resource and, you know, it's a, it's an oil field brine. And you know, Rodney, why don't you go ahead with your questions on the path to you know, figuring out value creation steps from here? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that I don't think E3 gets enough credit for is in the way Chris and team have constructed this project with previous data and grants and assistance and so on, you've really 
minimize dilution of, of shareholder equity along the way, which, uh, you know, is quite standout because there are, you know, others that will look to copycat and so on. But, you know, you've had great assistance and you've done a great job in tapping into those resources. I think people should understand sometimes the market cap is that level because you haven't had to issue a lot of shares and put them out into the market. But in terms of this strategic innovation fund, I see it's Roughly, it's slightly higher than a third that they contribute. You've already had from 2021. So there's kind of 4 million backdated payments that you'll get. So looking at your numbers, Chris, and looking at the cash that you have, plus outstanding warrants that are likely to come in and this repayment, you've got about 20 million, which means they can add uh, 10 to your 20, give or take. So you've got about 30 million Canadian of runway from here to spend. Yeah, that's about right. We're, we're sitting at just under 30 million effective cash to get through the next big hurdles that E3 has, which is more than enough to get us through a lot of stuff for next year from the federal government. As you mentioned, it's it's a it's a payback at 34% of all of our project costs, uh, including our staff that work on those projects. So that's the majority of the people we have at the company is also included in that. Uh, the ability to get that back. So effectively, you know, every quarter we submit the cost and we get that paid back at 34%, just under 34%. So for us, what it means is that there's a $27 million line effectively available to us that is non-dilutive to the company. And we can continue to draw down on that every quarter until we consume the $27 million um, provided by the federal government. And the project that we applied for, and you'll hear on, on a video with me and Minister Champagne and talking about an $87 million project, that's all of our costs up until the point where we go into commercial operations, not including the capital to construct the plant, obviously, but um, all of the costs for all of them, including some capital for, for pre-purchase. So we have a pretty big runway ahead of us in terms of what we're working on. And, and now a third of it, a little over a third of it, completely covered by the federal government. Hi, everyone. We're here in uh, South Korea. You know, we've been spending the day meeting with a number of companies in South Korea. But obviously, we have a number of Canadian companies. And here we have a champion. I'm here with Chris Savitri Lithium. And I think we have uh, some good news to share with our Canadian audience. So Absolutely. maybe I'll turn over to Chris and he's going to tell you how his company is transforming the whole battery ecosystem. So Chris, not only you got support from the SIF program, but you're really changing how we're going to be doing batteries. Absolutely. We, we've had a, a pretty massive opportunity in Alberta, um, a, a significant lithium resource that we're developing um, in the oil patch, in, in conventional oil in Alberta transitioning a workforce here that we're very excited to build this industry, putting Albertans to work um, and, and grateful for the support, obviously from the federal government, from the strategic- Well, 27 million, 27 million out million. of a 80, $87 million project. $87 million project in Alberta, yeah. in the battery ecosystem. So this is really building from coast to coast, this battery ecosystem. We yeah. want everyone in Canada to be benefiting from this new industry. And I can tell you, and Chris, I've seen it, a lot of interest from uh, a number of companies in Japan and obviously in South Korea. So again, kudos to the team of E3 Lithium. Uh, we're proud of what we're doing. Chris, great to be with you here in South Korea. Yeah, thank you for and having everyone us. everyone back home, really enjoyed to be sharing this good news with all of you. And I think that, that show of support 
is huge for us. And and obviously the capital that comes into the company uh, should be pretty massive for the shareholders who are seeing non-dilutive capital uh, being deployed again here at E3. Which is great because, you know, we've, we've watched with Canada, we think it has a lot of major benefits to play a role in the you know, in critical raw materials for the battery supply chain, but it's now great to see something that's the equivalent of an IRA in, in you know, in Canada, its own version and, you know, and you as the recipient in terms of, of highlighting and timing, you know, the, the pilot is always something I think it's critical. It's, it's been critical for others. What the news flow shareholders can expect from that? Yeah, I think for us, obviously uh, the big, effort that the company is undergoing right now, a large part of our capital outlay, aside from drilling, and a large part of the staff that we have at E3 are working towards the direct extraction pilot. And, and what that really is, is the pilot is for investors and, and for us, a, sort of a milestone, right? It's, it's something that we need to accomplish, um, but it's the work that goes into the pilot that's really important, right? The, the pilot itself, by the time we get the machine out into the field, there's a lot of confidence that it's going to operate and be successful because of all the work that we're doing to get it to that point. So you don't pilot something you think is going to fail. You pilot something that you're pretty sure is going to be successful and you don't go to pilot until you're at that point. And I think for us, that's pretty critical because what it should tell the shareholders is that, and investors in E3 is that, you know, the confidence there when we, when we make moves towards the pilot means a lot for the company to have, Put that information out. So there, shortly, we should have uh, something to the market that's going to give a very fulsome update uh, where we're at with the pilot, our timeframes, and that sort of thing. So stay tuned for that coming out, and I'll probably leave it there. But you know, the 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 plan is still in 2023 to operate a pilot for E3. And does that sort of feed in and inform the PFS? But again, a lot of the work that goes into the pilot and into the pre-fees all happens in front of it. Once you're out there in the field, turning the thing on and flowing brine from one of the wells that we've recently drilled is really just demonstrating that you have no nasty surprises that happen when you bring live brine through the facility. And you're testing operating parameters and you're testing bigger volumes that are hard to test in the lab. So you, you're doing a bigger scale test, but it's a bigger scale. It's not, it's not new. You're not testing anything new here. You're just testing it. I mean, just, just on volume. that point, uh, just looking at some of the past results, et cetera, it seems that there's a very much a consistency of grade right across the whole reservoir. So there shouldn't be yeah. any major surprises on that front. You're dealing with, with a very consistent material. Yeah, and, and we just demonstrated that. We drilled a well smack dab in the middle of the aquifer that's never been tested for lithium, at least not under compliance, under 4301. And we demonstrated that the lithium grades between you know, high, mid 70s to, to high 70s, which is exactly what we would expect across this. And what it, across the aquifer, what it means is exactly what you're saying. The biggest challenge that a lot of mines have when they're operating is consistent feedstock into the plant, right? And you have to, you have to blend and you have to vary that to make sure that the plant can operate within its design parameters. So when you're pumping a brine and you're not mining and your brine is very consistent in chemistry, which we've demonstrated um, and we're starting to see more and more evidence of that, but we've demonstrated with these with these wells, and we're going to have the the results from the second well out shortly, and the third well that we're currently testing. Uh, actually, today it's it's operating. They're doing the the testing today, and have been for the past week. Those results will come out. We anticipate them being similar, and if they are, 
Now we've demonstrated that across this whole section of the aquifer, which is where we want to produce from in our first commercial operation, it, you have a very consistent feedstock, which means that you're, you can design your plant with a lot more confidence that you don't have a, a huge variety, huge, huge swing in, in brine chemistry, huge swing in grade. You're, you're putting something very consistent through it. And I presume other than just the, the PPM, it also is consistent across any impurities or any other things that, that could be in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not just lithium, it's, it's sodium, calcium, magnesium. All of the things that are in the brine um, are within you know, the same range that we're seeing across the aquifer. I think that's something that people aren't, that don't acknowledge. I, I think that that can make a difference um, in terms of yeah. how you process and processing a slightly lower grade, but you, you're dealing with something very consistent. Um, so you can fine tune to that pretty yeah. well. You can zone in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 59 cubic kilometers of brine. I mean, this is a huge body of water. Um, you know, we're going to start at some, you know, reasonable amount, call it the PEA contemplated 20,000 tons. You know, it's a nice size to get started on, but that's just the starting point. I mean, this thing can scale to a fairly big operation and, and how big it can go, you know, it's something that we're still working through, through the pre-feasibility study and, and what the reserve is going to look like in the measured indicated upgrade resource that's coming. Um, so I can't really talk too much about it until those things are out, but um, you know, there's enough brine here to produce 200 to 300,000 tons a year equivalents um, for probably up to 50 years. So this is going to be, if we get this, this operation successfully producing 20,000 tons, this is going to become a major jurisdiction for lithium to feed the battery market. And we're going to be produ producing battery grade products here in Alberta. So we'll be producing hydroxides to start at battery quality. That's the goal. Um, and then, you know, expand across the, the offerings. We want to we be able to provide battery products across the spectrum. And that could be carbonates in the future, depending on where the market goes. It could also be metal. And that's a huge benefit for us because I think from what we're seeing today, uh, the next generation, the big paradigm shift in batteries is probably going to be using lithium metal in some fashion, whether or not solid state or, or still just a liquid electrolyte with or cathode-less battery. All of those things looking at metal inherently have higher energy densities. And so um, I think all of those things, we're building a, a company to and, and a product, a suite of products is our goal to fill and supply the battery industry here in Canada. And, and uh, you know, we're hoping to see also that supply chain grow. I mean, we were in um, South Korea with the, with the minister, uh, Minister Champagne, when we announced this, and he's on a mission, he's in Japan, he was in Korea, He's on a mission to bring the battery ecosystem to Canada. He mentions that when he when we announced this this um, grant, and I think that's fundamental. You know, we in Canada we want to see the battery industry come here. Um, obviously, the, the United States is looking at this very much from a deglobalized perspective. They want to see local domestic North American production, and and that's why the IRA DPA funding is out there. And you're seeing the government talk about that potentially coming into Canada. And it's it's not for the military. It's it's to, just to secure a local supply, North American local supply of these critical materials. And Alberta, I think in the future is going to have a huge part to play in that. Not just D3, but we're going to be, obviously we're in the, we're in the front, we're the leaders. But Alberta as a province has 48 million tons lithium carbonate equivalent under 43101. So there's a big potential here for the whole province to become a major 
major supplier um, should all these things come to fruition. And, and it, as we develop more and more, I think the confidence is continuing going up that that's going to happen. You mentioned the DPA. You're talking about the Defense Production Authority from the U.S. government because we, we covered that yeah. in our most recent video with Ben Steinberg. That funding can go directly to Canada up to, we're hearing, $50 million. Maybe that'll increase over time, but that's not... It's not just five or ten million. It could be up to up to that. And I know Senator Manchin, who's highly influential, was in Alberta earlier this year. So are are you in talks with the you know you know the Department of Defense you know about this? Not that you could disclose you know any perspective likelihood on it, but this does seem to be the anointed project in the country, and it's sizable. And there are you know you, you can make the argument for U.S. defense and strategic you know aspect that this is you know, there would be a good fit. And if it has the backing of the federal government, right, you know, that's a arrow in your quiver, I guess. So, I mean, I know you've been in Washington a couple of times, but is this, um, is that part of that, the reason that you're there? I, I think absolutely. I mean, we were at um, our embassy in Canada, uh, in Washington, talking to the ambassador's staff, the embassy staff, about about this and you know that's their understanding prior to you having further information on it this is early when it just came out it was very clear that that was the intent and now obviously i think it's become exceedingly clear that this capital can flow into canada we've just been granted some funds from our federal government the canadian federal government there's a, a list of, of projects that is look being looked at uh, under this funding and then our name is on that list the defense department the dpa IRA funding is is contemplating um, projects, and there is an application process that companies like us can apply for, and and you know our decision to do that is is still something we're not talking about um, publicly, but we there's definitely the opportunity for us to apply okay. for the funding should we want to, and and take it from there. Appreciate the sensitivity. Like you've always had local Alberta support, you now have federal government support. Yeah. If you can get U.S. support as well, again to Rodney's point. Your share price is reflective of the fact that you don't have, you know, that many shares outstanding because you've been very conscious in keeping the capital structure tight and not issuing tons of shares. Yeah. And I think that like looking at that, what I can say is that the, the company does obviously have a preference in non-dilutive funding wherever it can. It, it creates value for shareholders because we don't have issue shares to advance the project. So from our perspective, absolutely. In the long run, I think I have never seen in my history, and, and I've been doing this for 20 years, this much funding available into mineral projects ever. It just, even in the past, you know, it just, the governments are funding critical minerals in a way that has never happened before. And it is because of the deglobalization, it is because of securing sources of the, like this, it's a little, it's an industrial revolution that's happening. The battery is an industrial revolution. We are changing how we move energy around. And it's it, the battery isn't the energy; it's it's a stepping stone for this transition. But it's a critical one because if you can't move energy around efficiently in a mobile sense, you can't transition. And the governments know that, and that's why they're putting the money into this. Is because they want to see that transition happen. That's why you know our federal government is adamant that this is going to be something that Canada is going to participate in as well. And and that is you know the that desire to participate in this is where the the sort of core of why we're receiving the funds from the strategic innovation fund is they want to develop a coast-to-coast -coast ecosystem of critical minerals and and that's and, and the battery supply chain the whole ecosystem so you know we offer a big opportunity in alberta to bring lithium into that and so we're very excited obviously 
to to see that support. But and you know that's that's a new announcement, so we don't really know too much about what those programs are going to look like. But the biggest exciting one for us is is you know we have a six hundred million dollar capital construction bill, you know, according to the preliminary economic assessment we published. And so infrastructure funding, which is which is part of this, it's a big part of what they're talking about. That infrastructure funding is critical because we're going to need capital to build a facility. And, you know, it you we have to well, there's probably a small deficit in capital we'll after raise in the next couple of years to get to the to the point where we're building the plant. But the big challenge isn't that. The market is there. I think there's a lot of interest in these stories. We're going to be able to secure that financing from my perspective. It's not going to be as difficult. Um, but the the other, the big piece that we're going to have, the big bill is the 600 million. So um, the infrastructure funding that they're talking about is big dollars, very big dollars. And um, and so that having the opportunity to apply for that in the future is going to be uh, fundamental to the project development as well. We can bring in Imperial now. I mean, there's some serious heavyweights. Can you sort of give us a sense of, of you know, other than small check they brought to the table, you know, access to their technical skills and then obviously further potential investment down the road if they, they can? Yeah, I mean, uh, Imperial are 5% shareholder V3 at this point through their warrants that they hold. I think that there's there's a strong interest in understanding this lithium industry and I think from our perspective, when you have this big of a company, and I mean it's it's Imperial, as as Howard mentioned, it's 70 percent owned by ExxonMobil, you know, they don't they don't make moves like this quickly, right? And so they're they're definitely taking their time to understand it. And and that's I think what's been impactful for us. We've spent time with their teams, helping them understand what we're doing, what the lithium industry looks like, what the market looks like. They've in turn helped us with a lot of the reservoir development work that's happening. I mean, we drilled these wells to understand the reservoir more intimately in an area that had less amount of data. Um, they have expertise that's assisting in that development, and that's hopefully going to result in a in an M and I upgrade sometime in the in the first part of the new year, and obviously feed into later in the pre feasibility study completing that reserve booking, which is fundamental to the project and and another big confidence checkbox, right? The, the reserve. So. They're definitely they're definitely helping in that regard. We we keep in regular contact with them, in in both a, a corporate level and a and a technical level. So in terms of future, you know, we're developing a relationship. That's how these things work. You work on a relationship first, and then you get to you know if there's any potential in the future for Imperial to to work with us in a bigger way than they already are. None of that is currently on the table because we're still building this relationship. But I think that in the future, that's why you build a relationship. So um, time will tell on that uh, front, but so far we very much appreciated having uh, their assistance, getting to know their teams, both in uh, the ExxonMobil and, and Imperial side. So it's been good. The infrastructure funding could be there post final investment decision. You'll need that $600 yeah. million and maybe that number changes as you get to pre-feasibility study and yeah. Um, and definitive feasibility study. But again, if you look at the landscape, you know, today, other than LiveEnt, who says it's like a partly DLE process, there's just a number of, and in China, I guess there are a number of groups that, that are some resin and the like, but you, you have a universe of uh, companies that are at various stages of development, whether it be Vulcan, um, Standard Lithium in Arkansas, you know, controlled thermal signed an agreement with um, GM. You have energy source is in the Salton Sea as well as with Compass. There, I think Compass is at a 
FEL2 stage, I think it is, you know, the equivalent of a, of a PFS. Actually, that project's not yet reflected in Compass's share at all, right? But in the case of Lake, you know, they've, they've been announcing progress with Lilac. So I guess just for an investor looking at, let's say, DLE lithium stories and the, the, the path and catalyst and milestones to equity value creation, because all of those stories still may fail, right? Or, or they may not come in uh, the same costing and quality as, as expected, but the market's pricing in a very positive expectation that those companies will be successful and the market caps are high enough so that they can raise equity or debt funding. Some of them have signed significant or a large number of offtake agreements, not always, you know, connected to money. I saw, you know, I was impressed with, you know, the lab technicians, which, um, you know, I saw and the general progress, but like, like what, what could we expect in the next three, six, 12 months operationally? The financing we talked about, it looks like there's a lot of interesting things happening there, but what as an equity holder, should I be like saying, oh, I read that press release. I read those series of press releases. That's meaningful. That's de-risking. The valuation should, you know, gap up, you know, <laughs> closer to some of its billion dollar, you know, peers, you know, because you've proven what? Yeah. I think fundamentally for a company like us, our goal internally is to de-risk the project by completing major project milestones. And then de-risking the corporate development by bringing in corporate milestones, and generally that aligns with what investors' um, expectation and interest in companies like us is. So, for a project perspective, there's a couple of big things that we've been working on for a, for a while that we'll start to see some major movements in 2023. One is the pilot, obviously, and this is fundamental. Everyone asks this question. The market is expecting us to advance this pilot, and we are. So that I mentioned already in this uh, conversation. The other is producing lithium hydroxide. We announced years ago that we can do it. That hasn't changed. Uh, the big thing that is more important to us, though, is developing that with a player who makes equipment and, and uh, process for commercial operations. And that's what we're working on right now is to nail that actual process flow sheet down. And the result of that will be um, hydroxide at, at battery quality that we'll be able to talk to the market about. But that that production of that is not the goal. Um, we're working with companies that can do that. So and and take what we make. We we make a lithium sulfate with our with our technology and we can convert that into lithium hydroxide. And and that process to do that is very well understood in the market. There's two different paths you can go down to do that, electrical or or chemical conversion. And we're looking at both. Um, and we're we're weighing the sort of technology risks against the cost against the the time frame. So all of those things are currently underway right now. All of that rolls up into a pre-feasibility study. Um, and that's where the market gets to see the inner workings of that. Um, and that we're hoping to be out in a year from now. And you'll see, obviously, the market will see announcements of progression on the pilot along the way. They'll, they'll, they'll see uh, progression on the hydroxide front along the way. And so they'll see pieces of this start to come together as we advance them. Uh, but then the pre-feasibility study will be the report where any investor can go in, read through the technical details, understand the process flow sheet, understand the cost most especially, because that's a really important piece of this. It's like all of this stuff that we're working on is technically feasible. All of it can work. We've, we've demonstrated five years of lithium extraction using our ion exchange material. 
that's not the challenge, right? The challenge is, can you build something that is going to produce lithium products in an economic way? And that's what the pre-feasibility study really truly outlines, is that the economics are lined up, demonstrated against the process that you've developed. Um, so that's the project milestones. And those are a lot of those, obviously, we're talking about. They're all coming very shortly. In the next 12 months, it, it culminates in the next 12 months with the pre-feasibility study. But a lot of those things happen along the way towards that. On the corporate level, absolutely, as you as you achieve those um, project milestones, you start to see more and more interest from people who are looking for this product. And right now, there is going to be, according to the experts who follow this space, a deficit of lithium in and around the time that we are going to be in production for the first time. And what that means is that we're not going to have a hard time finding customers. And those customers are generally buying into these projects sooner than they normally would to make sure that they are not one of those who are caught with the deficit, right? Because what will happen is most people will get their lithium. If there's a deficit, some people won't have lithium. And that means that some batteries won't get made because they don't have the lithium or the other raw materials to go into them. And so all the companies understand that and they're looking to make sure that they can get supply. And that looking for supply is balanced against project risk from companies like us. And there's a sweet spot that companies come into. And from us, that sweet spot is you know, we, we could probably go out and find non-binding agreements with companies if we wanted, but that's not what drives the project. That might drive the stock a little bit, but it's not what really drives the project. What drives the project are meaningful agreements that have some some terms in them that provide us some confidence, either some capital uh, support down the road, a real some terms that are binding in terms of the ability for us to sell our product, but that are not incredibly onerous on us and not onerous on the other side. And that's what a lot of these agreements we've seen are very onerous for the, the company that is making the material and not as onerous for the companies trying to buy it. And so from our perspective, that's a timing thing. There's a nice time frame where you're, where you're advanced enough that you can sign real agreements and get quality terms in those agreements. And so we are, that's our strategy. That's what we're doing. We're, we're looking for those types of agreements. We're very active in this space. But it's a it's a timing thing um, that that generally you would say like that never would happen before pre feasibility study, right? Because you'd want to know that you're able to get permits. Like, all, like those type of sale types of sales contracts generally happen much more advanced in a normal scenario. But this is not a normal scenario. Critical minerals is not normal, um, and that's why you're seeing these agreements come earlier and earlier in the project uh, life. So pre pre commercial project life. So I think for us, you know, that's an, a big part of what 2023 is going to be for us. That engagement, uh, talking to these companies. I mean, we're in South Korea, and you know, our minister was talking to all of the companies. He was in Japan talking to all of the companies. He's there to promote the battery ecosystem in Canada. And from that perspective, he's saying he's he's publicly saying that Canada's open for business, and that's that's incredibly important. You need. The government to say stuff like that to, and not just to, to mean it you need the government to be supportive of developments of of bringing the ecosystem here and so you know the fact that this is all happening at the same time and and everything is moving forward is no coincidence everything there's a lot of interest in canada there's a lot of interest in the raw materials it's what we do there's a lot of interest in in developing this ecosystem locally so for the corporate development i think e3 is going to have a big year in 2023 as well and, and when you combine those two things and you look at all of our peers that are trading at 10 times value, like Howard, you talked about the fact we were, we were here three years ago and we were an, an 8 million market cap, now we're 100 million. So that's a 10 times 
move in the stock price since those early days when we were just a small company. In, in the valuation, people. not the stock price. Um, in the valuation, yeah. Market cap valuation, yeah, from, from eight to, to 100 million. And now what you're seeing is that we're sitting at 100 million and our peers are, are roughly trading around a billion. And there's that potential still exists for us. And the difference between us and our peers is, is are these things that I'm talking about. They are the advancements in corporate or project level that we are able, that we hope to be able to achieve as we go through the next, you know, year. When, when I think about those companies, those other companies, they spent like tens of millions of dollars, not hundreds of millions of dollars before their market cap rose to those levels. And then they they raised a fair bit. I mean, Compass just raised $250 million. Uh, you know, Standard Lithium raised $100 million. Uh, Vulcan raised some $200 million. If you had more money, you're obviously not going to raise $200 million at $100 million market value. But if you had more money sooner, would you be able to move faster? Or it, it, the steps that you're taking and the money that you have, this is just what you have to do to create that value. And, um, you know, we always say this is more a marathon, you know, than a sprint. As far as the eye can see, you know, lithium is going to be in high demand. Getting it right and performing is what matters. And so for a patient long-term right. investor, you know, that that's what matters. But I, I'm, I'm just wondering, yeah. is there, if your stock was suddenly a billion dollar market value, you know, and you said, okay, let's hit the bid and raise a hundred million, $200 million. Would that speed you along in any way? I think I'll answer that in two pieces. In 2018, if we had that ability to raise not even a hundred million, but 20 or 30 million in 2018, which you guys were in the market in 2018, 2019, it was um, a bear market for lithium stocks. Um, we would be probably have piloted already. Um, because we would have had the capital to get going. At this point in time, we have the capital we need. So we could probably do a, a couple more things in parallel, um, but it takes time to staff up, right? To to bring the people in, to get them trained, to get them going. Um, there's only so much capital you can employ in a situation before it doesn't move you any faster. And so you would just be spending money needlessly. Um, right now, you know, we talked about earlier that we have just under $30 million effective bank balance for 2023. And, you know, that that gets us the pot plant, right? That gets us the the development of the hydroxide process. That gets us the pre-feasibility study. That gets us the M&I upgrade. It gets us all of those things. We will have to raise a bit more capital in the future. But considering that we can get through all of that without having to go to the market is is incredibly important. You're right, Howard. I wouldn't raise money today if I didn't need to. And because I don't need to, we won't be. I think that we have a lot of value to create. And that's what we're trying to do first before we go to the market. And uh, and so the timing of that is is to be determined. But we've got a long ways to go in terms of uh, the capital we have in front of us before we have to, to go back to market. But any more quickly. That's helpful. I mean, the reason we're doing this is because, you know, Canada's writing checks, right? You know, we're... we're I keep putting up this uh, Jerry Maguire, show me the money. Um, Canada has been doing a fair bit of talking. I mean, everything's set in place now, Chris. I mean, what yeah. more can you do, right? Well, I think that I think that's the really important piece. We have all, everything, all, the, the chessboard is set, right? There's not a piece missing now. So, you know, we have to execute. We still have to execute, but um, we have all the pieces we need now to, to be successful at, at that execution. So we're, we're sitting at about 30 people. On staff um, through 2023, we, we have plans to add five to six more. 
most of those in uh, either process staff or project management staff to help with the free feasibility study and, and how that will carry forward into the detail, detailed engineering design, engineering component of this. So um, we're sitting yeah, right now about 30 people, most of those technical, um, either in our, in our development facility, working in the DLE, our process project management engineers, and then there's the subsurface team developing the resource um, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So good group of people, you know, a lot of all of them, every single one of them we have on staff hired from Alberta's workforce, which I think just goes to show our ability to grow this company is, is supported by the local, the local workforce.